Chapter 8. Identify Your Aspirations I vividly remember visiting Robert, one of our AVN members, who was struggling to come up with a pricing strategy for his practice. When I offered my assistance, it soon became clear that he was trying to accommodate such a wide variety of clients that every scenario he considered contradicted a previous one. I quickly stopped the discussion on pricing, as there was obviously a far more fundamental question that needed to be answered first. What did Robert really want from his practice? What was his vision? As initially this wasn't something he had clarity on, after exploring a little we started to focus specifically on his why. In other words, on what he saw as his true purpose. Our why comes from our hearts. And once we've achieved a necessary level of financial security is what gives us our sense of drive. What was Robert really passionate about? This is often a tough question to answer. Many of us might not feel that we have a purpose. Many a strapline on a practice website, for example, is chosen not because it comes from the owner's heart, but because they think it sounds attractive to potential clients. But our true purpose is never simply a set of words that sound good. It's something we all have, without necessarily realising it. And it's something we should discover, not invent. In my own case, for many years, I simply did what I did. Work was fulfilling, but I couldn't articulate exactly what my purpose was. Apart from the fact that I enjoyed making a difference. However, once I discovered my purpose, I was able to connect it to everything I loved, and as a result, I'd never felt so motivated. If you haven't discovered your purpose yet, the story of how I found mine might help. Many years ago, whilst in a pub with some friends one evening between Christmas and New Year, one of them mentioned that someone he knew had completed an Ironman triathlon. As none of us had heard of one before, he explained how, during a period of 17 hours, participants first have to swim 2.4 miles in open water, then cycle 112 miles, and finally run a full 26.2 mile marathon. Each discipline has a time limit, which if you fail to meet it, means you'll be disqualified and prevented from continuing. It sounded pretty gruelling, but, fueled by several pints of Guinness, the friend telling the story and I committed there and then to competing in one, setting ourselves a target of 18 months to get fit enough, as neither of us did any exercise at all at that point, and were both starting to develop quite an impressive spare tyre. We felt that it would also convince us to do more exercise and eat more healthily. In fact, we were so enthusiastic that we booked and paid for it online that very night, even opting in to the organiser's chosen charity. The next morning, I remember hazily thinking about what we'd committed to and saying to myself, best start training tomorrow. Tomorrow, however, never came. 
Every now and again, I'd think about it. But I hated running. I always had. Even at school, I'd try every way possible to get out of cross-country runs. I did cycle occasionally, but I ended up having to get lessons to sort my swimming technique out since I couldn't even manage a length without being exhausted no matter how often I went. Six months later, I'd still barely started training or cut back on the food. In fact, when some training plans arrived from the organisers, I even laughed at the intensity of training they suggested I should be at at that point. Once again, I decided that tomorrow I'd start doing more. More successfully, however, they also reminded me that I needed to start asking people to sponsor me. All proceeds would go to cancer research, and family, friends and colleagues happily signed up to £5 and £10 donations, which was great. Now I just needed to make sure I did enough training to be able to complete it. Exactly one year later, we all met in the same pub again, My friend asked how my training was going and I confessed to having done barely any, as did he. With only six months to go, we agreed we'd best start tomorrow. Isn't it funny how tomorrow never comes? By February, I still hadn't gone on a single run, or cycle, or swim. At this point, I clicked that things were getting serious. I needed to get fit, otherwise I'd fail. So I decided to go on a big run, to try and catch up with where I should have been according to the training schedule. I went hell for leather, but before I'd finished, suddenly felt excruciating pain in both legs. I limped home and put ice packs on them. After a couple of weeks, the pain still hadn't gone and it hurt to walk, let alone run. I decided to go to the doctor, who told me I had shin splints, and that if I continued to run I could cause permanent damage to the muscles that attach to the bones in the shin. The pain was because these had begun to tear, owing to the stress I'd put them through. The prescription was rest for at least six, if not eight, weeks. This worried me, as the deadline was getting closer. In fact, I was more or less resigning myself to the fact that I wouldn't be ready. During those weeks, though, I went on holiday with my family. And when I'm on holiday, I enjoy alternating between reading a new murder mystery and a business book. This time, Paul Dunn, a good friend of mine, had recommended Start With Why, in which the author, Simon Sinek, shares how the most successful businesses differ from the rest. His conclusion? Because they've recognised that people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. As he gave example after example, I was forced into some self-discovery. What was my why? I didn't know. Even as I read his book, nothing was flowing. Nothing I read struck a chord. Later, however, during this same holiday, my wife Jenny mentioned her cousin Sam which did strike a chord. Every time we see Sam, it bothers me deeply. When Sam was just four years old, he was on a zebra crossing with his big sister when they were hit by a car. 
The driver was speeding and simply hadn't been paying attention. Sam took the brunt of the collision, hitting his head so badly that it severely damaged his brain. He was in a coma for months and when he recovered was so severely mentally handicapped that he needs constant 24-hour care. Now, although I don't have a close relationship with Sam from a family point of view, his situation bothers me. It makes me realise how fragile and easily damaged the brain is. Why aren't we able to fix it? Thinking about how much Sam's situation bothered me made me realise that choice is what's most important to me. Whether, as in Sam's case, it's the brain's ability to be able to choose at all, or, in the case of many people in the developing world, it's choices about food, education and medical care that most of us take for granted, I also realise that somewhere amongst these is the business owner who feels they have no choice but to keep working endless hours in order to pay the bills. I discovered my purpose, to enable people to have a better choice. Once I realised this, Jenny and I talked about me raising money for Headway, the charity that had helped Sam after his brain injury. And when we returned from holiday, I suddenly found I developed an overwhelming urge to get out and train. No matter what the weather was like, or how steep the hill, I'd think of Sam, and it drove me on. I had connected my purpose to the Ironman event. I went out with a new sponsor form, and this time I shared why I was raising money for this particular cause. I found that I was no longer receiving five and ten pound donations, but fifty, a hundred, even a hundred and fifty. I completed my first Ironman in 14 hours and 55 minutes and raised almost £3,000 and I've continued to participate in the event every year since. Discovering my purpose and connecting it to what I was doing had given me the drive and motivation I needed. It no longer felt like hard work, it became effortless. And connecting that same purpose to my business, enabling better choice to people in business who often feel they have no choice but to keep working an endless amount of hours in order to generate the income they need, had exactly the same impact. The lesson to be learnt is that discovering your purpose has to start with why. In Robert's case, after quite some time digging ever deeper, we ascertained that he's most passionate about helping people to be the best they can. Next, we looked at his personal goals. For Robert, working with his local children's football club is important. He produces their accounts for no charge and also helps to coach the children. His personal goal was therefore to ensure he had enough time to continue to do this whilst also spending quality time with his own children. Although he'd managed to do this very successfully so far, he was starting to struggle. For example, he wanted to attend his children's sports days and other events without worrying about his business demands. So what's important to you? How much time would you like to be able to spend with your family and friends? How does that compare to your current reality?
How many holidays would you like to take and where to? Are you hoping to exit your business soon and want to sell it for a premium to fund your retirement? Or would you prefer to build a business that you can continue to own in your retirement but don't need to work in? You need to be clear on your personal goals because only then will you be able to develop your own business in such a way that those things can happen. Otherwise, you'll have no choice but to continue fitting your personal life around your business. Next, Robert and I looked at his business vision. In my view, a vision is exactly that. It's how you see your business in a few years' time and what it'll be doing for you and for your clients. This vision is less about numbers and more about what those numbers represent. The numbers come from your goals. In Robert's case, he wanted a practice that would be helping his clients to grow their businesses and give them their lives back. He realised that behind each business were people who he wanted his practice to create a better life for. He recognised that the accounts and financial reports he produced were the means to an end, in this case of starting conversations rather than the end in themselves. He also wanted his practice to be a great place to work, where all his team enjoyed coming in and received a huge sense of fulfilment from what they did. To help make sure he'd be able to achieve this, we went on to discuss some specific goals for his business. And at this point, I'd like to remind you what I said about a common mistake being to look at your progress over the past few years and project this forward. It's easily done, but it limits your thinking. If, for example, you've been gradually increasing turnover by a steady 20% each year, you might think it made sense to project that same level of growth going forward. But what if you made your goal 100% or even 1000%? You might think that those seem ridiculous figures. But what if you really committed to them? What different ideas might you begin to have? What help could you get to achieve them? Perhaps you could take a shortcut through acquisitions or come up with a new, innovative way to grow. I'm not suggesting that you aim for something so extreme that it's impossible to buy into, but do make sure you pick the middle ground that's leading towards very ambitious. I promise you'll be amazed by how much it changes your thinking and approach. A few years ago, an accountant called Phil took a leap of faith and joined AVN. At the time, he was operating from his garden shed with a steady turnover of 50,000 per annum. But an employee ate up some of that and he was struggling to pay the bills for the home he and his pregnant wife and child were living in. Within four years of joining us, Phil had grown his practice by over a million. If you don't believe me, you can find an interview with him on our website, www.avn.co.uk, within testimonials and case studies. In fact, I suggest you do. It's completely inspiring. My point is that if he'd simply projected his historic growth forward and focused on continuing to meet that, he wouldn't have seen the growth he did. The conclusion is, always think big. Robert set some very audacious goals during my visit. 
including ensuring that absolutely nothing in his practice would rely on him being there. Every part of the service delivery, including advisory, would be delivered by his team. In fact, as per his original plan, he intended to run his practice as a business. He also assigned target dates by which to meet them, which played a key part in making any goal seem real. Action needs to be taken. By this point in our meeting, Robert had achieved clarity on his purpose, as well as on his personal and business vision and objectives. So I asked what proportion of his existing client base he was already delivering this ideal service to. The answer was none. In response, I asked him to describe the type of client who would be receptive to this kind of work. In other words, to describe his ideal client. Next, I asked how many of his current clients fitted this description, i.e. how many might be receptive to working with him for a higher fee in return for this higher level of service. He identified about 10. To reiterate, out of 180 clients, only 10 might be open to receiving the types of service that he really wanted to offer. The rest were either compliance-only accounts or, at best, management accounts offered as an additional service. As we explored this fact further, it became clear to Robert that not only were his compliance-only clients the hardest work, they were also the least profitable. Their books and records were frequently in such a mess that they needed a lot of extra work. Plus, they often needed pestering before they handed over the necessary information. I asked Robert, if he were to start his practice again from scratch, which clients would he choose to work with and what would he choose to deliver? As he described his ideal scenario, it became clear that this would include getting the accounts produced externally and then using the information he gleaned from these to help his clients analyze their businesses and look for opportunities to improve them. He could benchmark the accounts to identify the strengths and weaknesses of each business and then, using the AVN Performance Measurement and Improvement methodology, take each client through a journey of improvement. As Robert described the impact this could have on his clients, he became alive and his energy became infectious. Imagine the impact that could have on a team of people. At the start of our meeting, because he'd been considering all his different types of clients, Robert had been struggling to come up with an effective pricing solution. Now, however, we were easily able to create a package of services that we then broke down into three levels, developing a pricing formula for each by building them into our value pricing tool, Time's Up.